I am uh, going to be starting a new series today. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to the book of Romans in the New Testament, uh, the letter to the Romans, as it's actually called. And so we're going to start a journey. Uh, I've entitled this series, Understanding Your Faith. Now, why are we doing this? Why are we studying? So let me give a little bit of background, okay? So for the last few years now, let's say we go back to 2020, COVID. COVID's going to be indelibly etched in our minds because of its impact on our lives, our families, our culture. Uh, But it also had an impact on church. And I'm not going to talk about COVID I'm just going to talk about what COVID revealed, okay? COVID revealed to us in a sudden way what was already happening many years before that with the church. And that is we kind of lost focus. I'm not just talking about our church, but I'm talking about the church in general. Why do you say that, George? Well, like today, some of the biggest things you may not be aware of it, but there is a third less people going to our churches than there used to be. So one out of three people who used to go to church have quit going to church. A significant portion of people are leaving the church, especially young people, anywhere from their teens up into the 30s. They're just like saying, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with it. Some of you have experienced that personally in your own families. Some of you are seeing that all around you, and you're seeing that there is a lack of interest in spiritual things. Add to that mix a culture where there is an upheaval right now. So we just went through, and we still are somewhat, a period of political upheaval. And everybody's just kind of like, whoa, can't take this anymore. And like, but yet the problem is, is that that politics has transferred itself over into churches to where now Christianity is equated with politics. Plus, everything else that's going on. And so there's this state of confusion that's going on, and and I've been recognizing it, and I've been wondering, what can I do as a pastor? What 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 can I do as a pastor And then the realization is, I can only focus on what God's given me, which is our church family, who is called the Kerwinsville Christian Church. And so what I realized is, is that um, we're we're in a state of confusion. Now, what do I mean? I've got a couple points I want to make here, okay? First of all, we are overwhelmed by conflicting messages concerning Christianity, Whenever you hear anybody talk about Christianity today, take a number. What do you mean take a number? There's just multitudes of viewpoints. Some, you might talk to somebody and they're just focused on the whole political aspect. It seems like that the church is overwhelmingly supporting one candidate, which, by the way, is totally ridiculous. If you go back, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Period. Okay? For you to do that is to go beyond what Jesus is saying. Just so you realize that. So, but when you talk to people, that's what they think Christianity is. It's a political force. 
talk to other people, they talk about Christianity, they're confused, they think it's a social justice movement. We should be fighting for social justice for this oppressed group or whatever. And, and don't get me wrong, those are all good things. But that's not primarily what the church and Christianity is about. Doing good is one thing. But we live in an evil world that is against God. So there is a focus that we need to have. And that's what Christianity is about. But we have that confusion going on. We also have the confusion going on where they view the church, they view Christianity in terms of just a bunch of moral people who are judgmental about everybody else. We want to tell everybody else how to live. But then, here's the dirty little secret. We find out that they don't live that way. So there's a confusion going on. And you've got this person saying it's this and this person saying it's that. And, and when you talk to people and you ask them what they believe, well, here it is. Second thing, personal faith has been reduced to simplistic formulas and rituals. Personal faith has been reduced down to personal, personal things that are ritualistic formulas. So if you talk to a person today and ask him, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Their reply is, well, I prayed a prayer when I did this. And that's it. They focus on a prayer. Or I got baptized. Or I give. I'm pointing down here like there's an offering plate. There used to be offering plates here, but they're not anymore. It's boxes in the back. Back there then. I give. Or I volunteer. I do this. I read my Bible three times a day. I pray this many times. I'm in church every time the doors open. And we're confused. We reduce it down to ritualistic things that we do and simplistic formulas. So when we share the gospel with people, we don't really tell them what's going on and why they need Jesus. We just tell them, pray this prayer, you'll be okay. And so they'll pray that prayer because if you tell somebody, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Who wants to go to hell? And so we have this confusion. So how do we, how, do, how, does, how does somebody like me try to address that? How does that somebody like me try to help you in this world of confusion? Well, there's only one thing I can do. And that's Teach show you from God's word. So as we were getting a few months ago, a couple months ago, as we were wrapping up towards the end of John, I've been prayerfully considering what do I preach on next, Lord? What do I preach on next? And so I was talking with one of our trustees here at the church, just an offhand comment. He was doing some work here. And I said, hey, so what do you think we should do next? And he said, I like Romans. And it's like a light bulb clicked on. Bing! And I thought, yeah, Romans. So I went back to my office and started thinking about that. And I thought, yeah, what a, what a great letter. Because that really is the answer to the issue. That is the answer to the confusion. Because what we have in Romans is a letter that Paul is writing to a group of people he has never met. He's never met them. 
He wants to go visit them. And what he does in the letter is, is he introduces his whole belief system of what Christianity is. And he methodically lays it out from what the problem is with humanity to what the solution is, faith, how that is experienced in our lives through justification, sanctification. And then he goes on and talks about how we live. I thought, yeah, that's what we need. We, we no longer need to be confused about what Christianity is. Is it a political thing? Is it a social justice thing? Is it this or that? Is it legalism? Is it this, that, or another? We can see what it is and realize that what it comes down to is faith. And that's why we're entitling this message today, It's More Than a Service. I mean, hopefully you understand your faith and walk with Jesus is more than this service. It's more than this church. It's more than a state set of beliefs. It's Jesus. That's what faith is about. It's about Jesus and you. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Paul introducing it to us and helping us understand. So I want you to notice with me, again, we're in page 594, we're going to f focus on verses 8 through 17. You say, what about the first seven verses? Well, the first seven verses are a traditional greeting of Paul where he gives some truths there, but I want to focus on what he's saying here in verses 8 through 17. So if you'll notice with me, it'll be up on the screen. Here's what Paul writes. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request that if by some means I may now at last may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, that you may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I do, now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I've often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you, just as among other Gentiles. I'm a debtor to both Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as... As, at, so as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written... The just shall live by faith. All right, folks, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this passage, and we're going to really divide it into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, Paul's intentions, what he wants to do. And to be honest with you, they're my intentions. I'm going to take the apostles' intentions here with this series, and I want that to be where we're going with this series as we look at this over the next few months. I want to help you, okay? I want to help me as I study. I want to help you, all right? And then we're going to look at what the gospel is, 
all right? Because to be honest with you, you know what Christianity is, folks? Christianity isn't all that other stuff I was talking about that's confusing us. Christianity is the gospel. And what's the gospel? Jesus Christ. Bottom line, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. All right? Good news isn't how you get to live a good life. The good news is a person. All that other stuff is just byproduct. So let's talk about Paul's intention. Here's the first one. I want you to notice with me verse 11. Here's what he says. He says, verse 11, For I long to see you. All right, so he's expressing his desire here that he wants to see them. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Now, what's he talking about, some spiritual gift? Well, in the book of Acts, when he's in Ephesus, he meets a guy and he says, Have you received the gift of the Spirit? Have you received the gift? What gift? I don't know of the Spirit. And so he's imparted the Spirit of of God. So he wants to make sure that they have the Spirit of God. Why? So that they are what? That you may be established. Now here's the point. Paul's desire was to see them established in their faith. He wants them to be established in their faith. He wants them to be established. Folks, my desire for you is that you are established in your faith. Now what does that mean, George? Faith? Isn't that a set of beliefs? Listen to me, it's more than that. I'm not talking about you just being established in a set of doctrine that we all repeat and say, yes, I agree with that, and we sign doctrinal statements or whatever. I want you to be established in your faith in Christ, to be sure of it. What do you mean be sure of it? Okay, take a difficult day in your life. When you do wrong, first thing that enters into your mind is God doesn't love you anymore. You start questioning. Oh, I did this. I messed up. God's looking at me differently. You're not established. Hey, how about not just that? How about everything goes wrong? Maybe that was the week you just had where life pours on you. One problem after another. And you're like, mercy, I've had enough. But yet you're thinking in your mind, God, you don't love me. God, you must be mad at me. God, you're trying to get me. God, you're dropping a hammer on me. I'm telling you right now, those kind of thoughts reveal something. You're not established. You're not established in your faith. And I'm going to tell you, let me explain something to you. Faith here is not, when we talk about you being established in your faith, faith is not that you hold the right doctrines. That's the faith. But your faith goes beyond that. Your faith goes to what you believe about Jesus and about God. And the trust you have in him. Why do you think Jesus in the Gospels will say, when you come unto me, come unto me as a little child? Perfect illustration of faith, right? Do you remember your kids? When they were small, what did they think you could do? Everything right? You can do everything. I remember, I'm Madison, you know, I remember Maddie, she had a toy, she loved this toy, she broke the toy, and I just remember her coming to me and handing me the toy and saying, Daddy, fix. Why? Because she believed Daddy could do everything. Now, if you asked her that today, she would say, no, I don't believe Dad can do everything. But when they're a child, they believe you could do everything, right? Daddy, fix. That, she had what in me? Faith. She trusted me.
Paul wants them to be established in their what? Faith in Jesus. Faith in God. Trust in the Lord. That's what it's about, folks. He wanted them to be established. Now, here, why? Here, here's the thing. Because here's the thing. He wanted to share in the mutual encouragement of their joint faith. The mutual encouragement. Look with me at verse 12. I, it's, I, had to, I wrestled with this because, like, what is he talking about here? Look with me. He says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He wanted them to be established in their faith, that is their trust and their love for God, so that he could have the mutual encouragement of when they come together, their faith encourages his faith as his faith encourages them. Can I tell you something, folks? If you want to, write it down in your notes. The church. That's what church is supposed to be about. It's about believers coming together and what? Encouraging each other in our what? Faith. Mutual encouragement. But man, somehow, you know, I've been around a long time, okay? I've been around a long time, 56 years old. I came to Christ as a 19-year-old. I've seen some ugly things in church. I've been in church where ugliness happened. And, and the reality is, it wasn't for mutual encouragement, was it? If anything, you didn't even want to go. But you went because I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a gathering of people together. He wanted to be with them so they could mutually encourage each other. That's when we come together, folks. We're not, it's more than a service. It's not just showing up here to hear what George has to say this week. You're showing up here to be with each other and establish relationships with each other so that if you're going through it, you can say to somebody you trust, hey, pray for me. It's been a rough week. I'm hurting. And I'm struggling right now. And somebody can come alongside of you and say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. You hang in there. You hang in there because he got me through my thing. He'll get you through yours. That's mutual encouragement, isn't it? That's Paul's intention. His, his intention was to establish them in their faith so that they could what? Have mutual encouragement. So how does he get there? Where do we go with that? He gets to the heart of the issue. Really, you want to know what Christianity is? Christianity is the gospel. And so that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the gospel. So I want you to notice with me what he says starting in verse 16. We're going to take it a little piece by piece here. If you go back one verse, verse 15, here's what he says. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. So he's ready to preach to them the gospel. So hold, hold on. What's he ready to preach to them? He's ready to preach to them Jesus. Get that in your mind. The gospel is Jesus. He's getting ready. He wants to preach to them, not have a doctrinal study, not have, here's, the, here's, here's a systematic theology course that you could take. He's not there just preaching his opinion. He's there preaching 
the gospel, Jesus. Why? So here's what he says, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He's not ashamed by it. Here's the first thing I want you to see. The gospel is not something to be ashamed of. Man, what a reminder. Because too often times, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm turning on the TV, and I'm awfully embarrassed. I'm cringing at, at listening to some people open their mouths and profess Jesus and turn around and say the stuff that they're saying. And it has nothing to do with Christianity. And I'm sitting there wanting to crawl under my desk or, or switch the channel or something and saying to myself, that's not me, that's not Jesus, that's not Christianity. And, and you're embarrassed, you get ashamed by what you see happening today. Is that not true? Aren't you feeling that? Am I the only one? You're only the one, George. Paul says, look, I'm not ashamed of the, look what he, how he describes it, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, listen, folks, transfer the word gospel with what it means, good news. That's what gospel means, good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed. The gospel is not something to be ashamed of. Folks, you don't, if you understand what Christianity is, Christianity is faith in the one who saved us. Faith and trust in the one who gave his life for us so that you could have forgiveness. Faith in the one who gives you a new life now, who's with you always. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. All the other stuff, yeah, I can get ashamed of that because somebody, yeah, but that has nothing to do with us, does it? Our basis is Jesus and the cross. The gospel. So it's not something to be ashamed of. It's good news. Here's what else he says. Look with me. Let's continue on here. Verse 16. This is where I think a lot of us have missed it. He says this. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. The power of God. It's the power of God for salvation. I think we've missed it. I hate to say it because we've reduced it down in our minds. We're so confused and it's become simplistic ritual, simplistic answers and routines and beliefs that we have. I think we've missed it that there's something more supposed to be happening with our faith, with our walk with God, and it's his power showing up. Paul would say this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He wanted to know Jesus intimately and the power of God resting in his life, showing himself mighty. Not that you do supernatural things, but that God shows up in your life in a powerful way and it's meaningful to you. I'm looking there and I'm looking at the stats and the statistics and people walking away and I'm thinking, yeah, I can understand because somehow we've missed the reality of Jesus in church now. 
We've missed the reality of who he is and him showing up in our lives and, and convincing us that he is real to the point that we say, yes, Jesus, I'm following you. Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Yes, Jesus, I'm hanging on in the midst of my problem. You are my Lord. I'm trusting you because you see his power in your life. It's, it's the same Jesus who shows up like many years ago, more than 20 years ago, oh, boy, it's been more than 20, sitting in a room in, in, in Angus, Ontario. I told Lori to go to bed. I'm praying there about difficulties that were happening. And the peace of God shows up mighty in my life as I'm pouring out my heart to him about what's going on. God shows up right there and gives me this overwhelming sense of peace. He didn't say, George, here's what's going to happen. Here's how to handle it. He just showed up with his presence. And that was enough for me so that I could go back to bed and the next day face the same problems again. Because his power showed up enough to say to me, I'm with you. And by the way, hey, he didn't answer any of those prayers. That's why I'm here. Because if he had answered those prayers, I'd be in Canada, not in Kerwinsville. But all he did was just tell me, I'm here. I'm with you. It's the power of God for salvation. See, the reality of your faith is you trust somebody who shows up in your life. It's the power of God to save you. From who? Yourself. People are so worried about the culture and how the world's going. Folks, the culture of the world has always been going that way. In fact, we're going to see that next week when we get into the next part of Romans. When the world goes it alone, it has its own problems. But your biggest enemy is yourself. So we see that here. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 17. Here's what he said. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Here's the next point I want you to see, okay? God's righteousness is revealed in faith. Faith. So listen to me. How do, let me bring it down. What is he saying there, George? God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. What's he talking about? Okay. So help me to under, help you understand. I'm going I'm to bring it down to our level, Okay. I'm going, to, I'm going to go back to my childhood, all right? So I, I was a typical teenager who did dumb stuff, who didn't listen to his parents, okay? And so because of that, as a typical teenager who did dumb things and didn't listen to his parents, George typically would get in trouble with mom and then with dad, because mom would usually say, wait till your dad gets home. Ever had somebody tell you that, Okay. She would say that, wait till your dad gets home. And so then I would get in trouble with dad and that usually resulted in some pain and, uh, and, and shame and, and physical pain and whatever. And so, and then the reality is, here's what happened. That George then realizes, I got to get back in good with mom and dad. So then I put on the good George and do everything to get back in with mom and dad. And we're raised that way. We think that way, right? I don't act that way, George. Yeah, you do. Because you're doing it with God. You're doing it with God. What do you mean I'm doing it with God? 
Listen to me. You do wrong. You sin. You will sin today. You will sin. You sinned yesterday. You will sin tomorrow. You sin. You are corrupted. You live in a corrupted body. You will sin. You will give in to your desires. You will do wrong. And here's what happens. You know that when you do wrong as a believer, that hurts God. That hurts the relationship. So then somehow it enters into your mind that now, after you doing wrong, you've got to do everything right to make sure that God loves you again. And so you try to do everything right, volunteer for this, give more money for that, do this, do that, so that you can attain some sort of righteousness. But your righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing, listen to me, write it down. There is nothing you can do to gain his love. He already loves you. So here's what Paul says. Look, if you understand, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's a power of, for salvation to those who believe in faith. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. God's righteousness is revealed in faith. What do you mean? The righteousness you need to have to get with him is not what you're attaining for yourself by doing the right things. The righteousness you have is attained by your what? Faith. Your trust in him. Your love for him. So let me explain to you what it is. So here it is. George does something stupid. I did something stupid this week. I'm going to do something stupid the next week. I'm, 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 I live in perpetuality of doing dumb, stupid things and, and doing wrong things, of sinning, of, of sinning intentionally. Here's the other one. Of sinning ignorantly. You sin ignorantly. You sin without even knowing that you sin. And so I'm sitting there in this perpetual state of, oh God, oh God. And here, what do I do? What do I do? And here's the reality. All I have to do is trust him. All I have to do is love him. Have faith in him to the reality that my acceptance with him has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what Jesus did for me. And God's righteousness that justifies me that saves me, is revealed in what? My faith in him. And again, it's more than just believing a set doctrines. Check, mark, check, I believe that, check, check, check. It's my trust in God. So then he brings it down to what he's going to be. Really, it, it is the, if you want to, it is the key verse. Verse 17 is the key verse to understanding all of Romans. Here's what it is. This is what moved Martin Luther to start a whole reformation. The essence of Christianity is, is that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just. Who's that? You who are a believer. God sees you as just. Well, you know, wait a minute, Jordan. I, okay, I can accept that, but don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the problems I've done. And, and yeah, I know there were those things before I came to Christ. I'm, I know those were washed away, but I've done this since I became a believer. No, no, listen to me. You are seeing it through your eyes. Quit seeing it through your eyes. Jesus looks at you and describes you as the just. Why? 
Because you live by what? Faith. Faith in Him. Trust in Him. That's what it's about. That's what it is. It's, it's a group of people who really, if we were left to ourselves, we would crash and burn like everybody else. But because of God's grace to us, somehow we realize who he is and we put our trust in him because he did it all and we believed in him. We were saved. We were justified. We were made righteous. Not because we did the right stuff, not because we kept ourselves from doing the wrong stuff, but because of him and our faith in him. And that's what it's about. That's what it is about. And that's what our journey is going to be. I want you to listen to me. We live in confusing times right now where we, we assume that the, the best thing we can do is bring us back to a moral America. I'm going to be honest with you. We can be a moral America and have just as many people going to hell as an immoral America. In fact, I'm going to tell you that there were just as many people going to hell 50 years ago as there are right now. Because moralism doesn't save you. It's your faith. How do you know that, George? Well, we're getting ready the next four messages. Next week, he's going to start with the folks that are going it alone, who say they don't care about God, they're doing it themselves. Chapter, chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. The next one after that is the moralist. I call him the hypocrite, the one who judges everybody else, who holds everybody to a standard that says, oh, you're not good, but I'm good because you don't adhere to this standard. But the problem is they themselves can't even keep the standard. So therefore, they're judged by the very standard that they judge others by. Then there's the religious. The religious are judged because they have the truth, but they don't live by it. And then just to make sure that everybody's included, because you can say, oh, well, I'm not doing it myself. I'm not a moralist. I'm not religious. You get to the first part of chapter 3, and he says, oh, by the way, everybody has fallen short. Now, why do we got to do that? Well, Paul's helping you to understand as we look at this that you need to realize that we've got a problem in humanity, and the only solution to the problem is the gospel. You mean a doctrine? No, a person. The person is who? Jesus. And the just are saved by faith. So I'm hoping you'll take that journey with me over the next few months. Let me pray for you.